When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Biden lost a lot of goodwill. He lost a lot of the trust that was given to him at the outset of this year. The Democratic Party can't find its way back to the JFK days because it's so far over to the left. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. People generally don't have a favorable view of Congress, but they do of their own congressmen. It's got to be something that all 50 senators, every single 50 senator can support. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe. Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We're throwing the script out today with a possible break in the stalemate over the debt ceiling. It depends who you ask. Amid a planned vote in the Senate to suspend the debt ceiling, that vote expected to fail, but it hasn't happened yet. We're going to bring you the latest from Capitol Hill straight ahead and the White House and discuss the latest with Representative Nicole Maliotakis, Republican from New York, and later we'll dig into the Republican psyche around the debt and the president's overall economic agenda with Robert Costa of The Washington Post, co-author of the new book, Peril. The panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano, along with Bill McGinley, principal of the Vocal Group, former deputy counsel at the RNC. We've got the fastest hour in politics stacked. Welcome to an evolving situation today in Washington, where Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is now floating a short-term solution to the debt ceiling, extending the limit until December. Bloomberg government now reports Democrats are signaling they plan to accept. Well, this was White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki less than an hour ago. My understanding uh, at, at the point I walked out here is that there's been no formal offer made. A press release is not a formal offer. Um, and regardless, even the scant details that have been reported present more complicated, more difficult options than the one that is quite obvious in the president's view and is in front of the faces of every member up on the Hill. We could get this done today. We don't need to kick the can. We don't need to go through a cumbersome process that every day brings additional risks. So not necessarily a big fan of this yet as we try to figure out what's going on. Saki's remarks delivered only a short time after Senator McConnell himself took to the floor to castigate Democrats for mishandling this issue. They wanted to turn their failure into everybody else's crisis, playing risky games with our economy, using manufactured drama to bully their own members, indulging petty politics instead of governing. Senator Elizabeth Warren says McConnell caved. And as I read on the terminal, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has yet to respond publicly. He could speak at any time, we're told, and we'll bring you his remarks if he chooses to. 
All this action following a big event at the White House today with CEOs from the big money center banks. Think Jamie Dimon, Brian Moynihan, Jane Frazier. She was in the room. They were on a screen. I was in the room, too. I can tell you that. Also there, the heads, well, virtually, of the NASDAQ and AARP, all there to highlight the urgency of the matter and the impact of a possible default. Here's the president. Let me be clear. Raising the debt limit is paying our old debts. There's nothing to do with new spending or what may be coming this year or other years. There's nothing to do with my plans on infrastructure or building back better, both of which are paid for, but they're not even in, uh, in the queue right now. It's about paying for what we owe and preventing a catastrophic event occurring in our economy. But could there be a little breathing room coming here? The market certainly took a big breath when news of the offer broke a little bit earlier, setting up another possible fight now over the debt ceiling in December. It's going to be a great Thanksgiving table either way this year. And this is where we begin with Representative Nicole Maliotakis, Republican from New York. Congresswoman, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. We're glad to have you today. Do you support this offer by Senator McConnell? Well, you know, we still don't know all the details, uh, and that is unfortunately the way things are in Washington, where uh, many people say they have a deal, and yet uh, the members who have to vote on these deals uh, don't have the details. And I think that that's, at the end of the day, what a responsible member would be waiting for. Uh, Look, I I believe that this uh, debt limit could be passed uh, by those who are in control of both chambers, uh, and that is the Democrats at this time. Um, and I think that there are a lot of uh, games, unfortunately, being played uh, when it comes to the infrastructure bill, when it's coming to the um, $3.5 trillion that they're trying to camouflage with the infrastructure, and, of course, the debt issue as well. Uh, but what I'll say is that uh, as someone who considers herself a, a fiscal conservative and always was that way when I was in Albany as a state legislator, I am concerned about taking on uh, future debt. I mean, how can the president stand there and honestly tell the people of this country that $3.9 trillion is already paid, $3.5 trillion is already paid for when we're having this discussion about the debt limit at this time? Yeah. Well, of course, he also said $8 trillion in debt came from the Trump administration. And while, of course, Democrats did vote for some of that, it's time to pay the bills. Does it give you do you take heart in in Mitch McConnell getting involved in this or do you see it the way Elizabeth Warren does in that he caves? Should he stay on the sidelines? Well, I think he's part of leadership and he should be at the table when these discussions are being had, as should the minority leader in the Republican House. Uh, Everyone who is in a leadership role uh, should be at the table. Going to this. I know there's a lot of members, including myself, that believe we need to start identifying areas where we can uh, cut spend. Um, and I, I think that you know it has to even out going forward. We can't continue to put our country in this type of situation as we're approaching a thirty trillion dollar debt in this country. Yeah. Uh, and the idea that there are some members that want to spend another three and a half on more entitlements, on more welfare without work programs, uh, creating new uh, social programs that we cannot afford, clearly. Uh, and, and, and I think that that is uh, what we have to be mindful of in this country. The dangerous path that some members want to take us down right now, uh, and it's not just the monetary, it's the government intrusion, the government control. You had all the banks there today at the White House that they mentioned sure. uh, the impact that the reporting of $600 or more transactions in every single bank account across America will have not only on personal privacy, 
but on uh, community banks. Well, I was actually I was in the room for that meeting. I didn't hear CEOs talking about that. They were talking about the impact of a possible default or even getting too close to one. That was really the message from Jamie Dimon and others. Jane Frazier said each day costs a little bit more. So I guess, Congresswoman, I'll ask you this. Is this not an opportunity for both parties to talk about a long term solution uh, to debt reduction? I feel like that's where you're going here. Right. If if Republicans have leverage over the debt ceiling, why not use it to lower the debt? Well, I, I think that is where the discussion needs to go. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Republicans don't control either chamber. And the reality is, is that uh, the, the Democrats have the ability uh, to to fix this issue on their own. Of course, they do need to, uh, because of the tight margin in the in the uh, in the Senate, they do need to have that discussion, and they should use every opportunity, Republicans, to try to uh, have a real conversation of where are we going. I think this really just highlights. Uh, how we can't go down that dangerous path of the $3.5 trillion in additional spending uh, that we can't afford. And, and by the way, you know, the $1.9 trillion that was passed earlier this year that was supposed to be an economic uh, recovery or COVID recovery fund uh, ended up making the economy worse. When you look at uh, the labor shortages, when you look at uh, the, the, the ports, how they're so backed up and they cannot uh, take, take these containers down, the, the lack of truck drivers due to people being uh, paid to stay home, rather than report back to work, you know, the, the impact is had on inflation. Uh, sure. You know, that all of that is, is showing how this uh, $1.9 trillion that was spent didn't need to be spent. Uh, if they just simply reopened the economy and, and, and returned everyone back to work, uh, we would be, I think, in a better situation today. You didn't need that excessive spending. Well, as we talk about this, I, I get a sense you want to get into the infrastructure and reconciliation a little bit more than the debt ceiling. With regard to that, Taking these one at a time here, with regard to the bipartisan infrastructure deal, were you in favor of that when Republicans got on board in the Senate? Uh, some have suggested that things have changed in them in terms of these bills being tied together. That seems to have been on again, off again. But are there not components of this bill that you want to bring home to New York? Yeah, look, I, I spent a lot of time reviewing that legislation uh, since it had passed the Senate, and particularly in the last couple of weeks where uh, it looked like it was going to be poised for a vote before Nancy Pelosi canceled the vote twice. The reality is that not improving our infrastructure has a real detrimental effect on our economy, um, and you know that you could, you could, there are multiple studies out there that highlight the billions uh, and lost to, uh, to GDP by not improving and keeping up with population and economic growth, particularly in cities like New York City, where we have aging infrastructure, you know, aging bridges. We have ports that uh, we do need to increase the capacity of. We need to have a transit system that still relies on World War II conditions. You have sewer and uh, storm sewer systems that are inadequate. Uh, we need coastal resiliency. We saw that after Hurricane Sandy. We saw it after uh, Ida more recently. Uh, the the impact of not improving our infrastructure, I think, is far uh, surpasses um, the investment that would be made. And, and 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 I think that at the end of the day, it's it's a it's a shame that members, even from New York City, majority of the New York City members, uh, held the infrastructure hostage, basically the bipartisan infrastructure bill, because they were holding out for this uh, you know three point five trillion dollars spending yeah. plan. Well they still uh, are which, I think by the way, if implemented would have economic impacts that would basically take away the economic benefits of the infrastructure. Okay, bill. so that's so, the that um, brings me to the question then I want to ask you is all of that good sure. stuff you just talked about, the hard infrastructure, worth losing if this reconciliation bill is not to your liking? 
Well, you know, it's uh, I cannot support uh, that reconciliation bill. I mean, to me, that is taking our country down a path of socialism. I cannot support that, uh, particularly also it's not just, uh, you know, these new social programs that are unsustainable and that we cannot afford. It's the government intrusion, more government control, uh, yeah. the increased taxes. And by the way, when President Biden says this doesn't affect uh, people under uh, 400,000, he's wrong. Okay, look at inflation. What has that has caused uh, in terms of inflation is taxation. Mm -hmm. And you see the cost of goods going up, whether it's gasoline, whether it's food in the grocery store, whether you're trying to go on a a vacation. I wish I had more time to finish the conversation with you, but I appreciate the time on Sound On. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So do we have a deal on the debt limit? Read the terminal, and the answer is yes. Miss Eric Wasson and Laura Litvin write Democrats signal they will take up Mitch McConnell's offer to raise the debt ceiling into December, alleviating the immediate risk of a default, but raising the prospect, yes, of another bruising political fight near the end of the year. It says President Biden continues to make the point that the debt limit is like a credit card. It covers money already spent. We had to raise the debt limit three times when Donald Trump was president. And the Republicans moved to raise it each time, and each time the Democrats supported the effort to raise the debt. But now Republicans won't raise the debt limit despite being responsible for what the debt limit, why it has to be raised, for the bills that are outstanding. They won't raise it enough through, uh, if they've done, we're going to be defaulting on a debt that would lead to self-inflicted wounds that risk the market tanking and wiping out retirement savings and costing jobs. Sound from the meeting the president held today with the CEOs, most of them joining virtually, including Jamie Dimon, who he referred to as his friend Jamie before he corrected himself to say, Mr. CEO. Jamie Dimon was not wearing a tie. I was wondering about that, Jeannie. Can't imagine going to the White House without a tie, but I guess in the age of Zoom, it's all different now, huh? You can talk. We're oh, here. Yeah. Okay. Jamie Sheehan, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> she's in the room with me. This is a rare and wonderful treat. It's great to see you. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano as we assemble the panel, along with principal at the Vogel Group, Bill McGinley, former deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee. Bill, thank you for being here. So let's get going here, uh, Jeannie. You've heard all of the voices so far, and you've heard the uncertainty uh, around this potential deal with Mitch McConnell. Is this something that the Democrats should accept? 
You know, I think McConnell, you know, a lot of the headlines we started to see on this, it it felt like, you know, McConnell had bowed to pressure. But I read it another way. I think he is making this worse for Democrats by extending this out. Not only does it mean, Joe Matthew, that you're going to be covering this for the next several months or weeks, but it also, I'm sorry, um, with your tie on, of course, but it also (laughs) means that Democrats aren't going to be able to focus on what they need to focus on and what Joe Biden needs them to focus on, which is the infrastructure and the reconciliation bill. So, you know, I am not one of these people who describes this as, you know, a win for Democrats at this point. Uh, You know, McConnell has made it very clear. It's a limited offer and they have to set a ceiling, which is exactly what the Democrats don't want to do. And again, it extends out this discussion long after they should be discussing this and well into a midterm election year. The statement from uh, Mitch McConnell is is uh, very cleverly written, as you would expect, Bill McGinley. It says Republicans remain the only party with a plan to prevent default. Obviously, the Senate majority leader here could sense an opportunity and he's taking it. Is that how you see it, Bill? Yeah, I think that the Democrats have backed themselves into a corner. Um, They basically took the bipartisan infrastructure bill and Nancy Pelosi had to pull it because she could, you know, she had a moderate versus progressive uh, intrafamily warfare going on. They can't seem to be able to get to Senator Sinema and Manchin to be able to resolve the $3.5 trillion tax and spend bill that they want to put through on reconciliation. And they basically allowed all of this stuff to fester until we had a potential government shutdown and the debt limit uh, was about to expire. So I agree with Jeannie. I think that what Mitch McConnell has done here is given them an offer that's going to prolong uh, this debt limit debate for at least another month until they're close to where the government's going to run out of funding again. Well, this so is a cancel riot. Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. I think that this is going to basically spoil the holidays for the Democrats <laughs> and this intra-family warfare that they have going on between the moderates and the Democrats is going to continue until then. Well, we all love a good fight at the Thanksgiving table, I think, here. But, boy, hasn't this changed in just a matter of 24 hours here, Jeannie, to think that Nancy Pelosi was trying to paint Republicans into a corner. Chuck Schumer certainly was. Bill McGinley says it's just the opposite now. Democrats are painted into a corner. You know, I I have been struggling to understand uh, the path forward for Democrats on this, in part because even though I think the president did a very good job today explaining the situation, explaining the calamity gathered with those leaders, um, business leaders and others all making the case, I'm not sure the American public, when you look at polls, is either paying attention to this issue or understanding it. And I'm not sure if and when the Democrats are allowed to raise the debt limit, which we hope they will, if it's going to be a political win. The big win for Democrats here is going to be on infrastructure, and that's what I think they need to focus on. But yet they have doubled down, and I think Mitch McConnell today, by extending this, has given himself and Republicans another ability to keep the Democrats from focusing off track on what they should be focusing on. Do you believe reports that that Democrats will accept it, Jeannie? I think they might accept it. I'm not sure what to believe anymore, yeah. Joe. You know, God it knows. seems to be changing by the moment. But I think they may feel, you know, it lo- they're going to take this offer. Some people are describing it as an escape hatch. But, you know, to me, it's like an escape hatch where the person has allowed you to walk on hot coals while you're going through it. It's not a, a particularly appetizing way to go out, but they may have to accept it at this point. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, 
Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. We're waiting to hear from Senator Chuck Schumer for a response to Senator Mitch McConnell's offer we've been talking about to agree to extend the debt ceiling through November. And that's after the minority leader took out the hammer again today on the Senate floor. Democrats requested and won new powers, new powers to repeatedly reuse the reconciliation process. In the past few days, Democrats in both the House and Senate have publicly admitted their party could handle, could handle the debt limit that way. Our colleagues have plenty of time to get it done before the earliest projected deadline. A perfect moment, perfect way to set up our conversation with Robert Costa, who's been making quite a bit of news recently with his book, Peril, co-author with Bob Woodward, of course, Robert Costa with The Washington Post. And Robert, it's great to have you back on Bloomberg Radio. Great to be back on Bloomberg Radio. I'm going to bring you back in time in a minute, talk about some of the incredible stuff you learned uh, while you were reporting and writing this book with Bob Woodward. But I'd like to start with what's happening today, if I could. As I listen to Senator Mitch McConnell speaking today, it strikes me that even after all these years, Robert, as both a minority and majority leader, he's still quite misunderstood by the news media. Just when everyone looks away, in this case on the debt ceiling, he comes up with an offer to extend the ceiling and create an opportunity for himself. What do you know about Mitch McConnell that nobody else does? Our book shows that McConnell is someone who likes Biden personally. He calls Biden someone with an A-plus personality. But he's also not going to rush to cut deals with Biden. They have a history of cutting deals. I used to cover them back in 2011, 2012, during the fiscal cliffs in those moments. Biden and McConnell could forge deals back then. But Biden and, and McConnell now have a dynamic where they both respect each other. Biden's trying to do progressive, transformational things. McConnell has zero interest in doing any of that. But they do both have a shared interest in making sure that the debt limit is extended uh, and that the business climate in this country, the economic markets are not ruptured. And so that transactional understanding that they have a shared interest is what's driving so much of this now. And it's what drove McConnell not to participate in the rescue plan earlier in the year, as our book documents, because McConnell's whole view is, I'm just going to wait for Biden to come to me. I don't need to cut any deals right now. I'm going to wait for him. When he needs me, he'll come to me. Does that mean McConnell wins? It's not so much a win. It's both sides are trying to get what they want. Yeah, we get a lot of questions from people referring to the good old days with Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan is that too cute for you? And as you look at what's going on today, do you believe these two men, Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden, trust each other? They do trust each other to a point. I mean, they've served in the Senate together for years. They, when Biden was vice president, they worked closely together. They have an understanding of each other. They're not trying to cut grand bargains. They know that politics has changed. And part of the reason Tip O'Neill and Reagan could cut some of those deals decades ago is politics wasn't in this hyper-attentive age where everything, everyone's tracking committees and votes and individual lawmakers on Twitter by the second. Now, lawmakers used to have a lot more leeway to have meetings, to think through possible deals without having the harsh public spotlight on them. 
But now everybody's followed all the time, sometimes even physically, like we saw with Senator Sinema of Arizona. And our book shows that this political climate really changes the whole dynamic of deals, that you can't really be seen as chummy-chummy. You have to be working hard to hold your position, and the breakdown always is for a very brief moment at the end. You talk in the book uh, quite a bit about the transition, or I guess lack thereof, uh, in what was an incredibly difficult period of time for our country leading up to the 6th of January. Robert, how much of that has informed this administration now and the way that it deals with Republicans on Capitol Hill? It's still a major issue. The January 6th committee in the House of Representatives is issuing subpoenas. Some of those subpoenas have cited uh, the book by uh, Woodward and, and me. Uh, we're trying to add scenes to the public understanding of what happened in the days before. Uh, we unearthed uh, the conservative lawyer John Eastman's six-point two-page memo, which many people are calling a roadmap to a coup. Uh, the, the story of January 6th is, is not just about the day itself. It's about the days prior, the pressure campaign on Senator Mike Lee, especially on Vice President Pence and so many other Republicans to buy in to Trump's idea of decertifying Biden's victory, throwing the election to the House of Representatives, where Trump very well believed he could win. Robert Costa, bring us back to the midterms, if you would. And I wonder if there's a parallel that we can draw with a party in power on both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. We see history take hold to the detriment of the party in power when midterms come around. And I wonder if you see the Biden administration facing some of the same challenges that the Trump administration was preparing for in 2018. Well, right now, Biden's facing some major challenges, the fallout from his decision on Afghanistan, the withdrawal, the stalled spending package on Capitol Hill. But I have two words above my desk at the Washington Post and on my desk at home, assume nothing. I mean, it's hard to sometimes predict how a foreign policy issue like Afghanistan is going to play a year later. A lot will depend on the situation in Kabul and in Afghanistan with the Taliban in 2022 and October of 2022 versus now. A lot's going to depend on the economy. Is there going to be a correction or not, or will things stay where they are? And the pandemic remains the huge variable in American politics. If it ever really begins to abate, that could be a juggernaut moment for the American economy. But we're not really sure if that's going to happen and if it does happen, when it would. Mm -hmm. If you assume nothing, are you also not assuming that we'll avoid a, a potential default this month? We have seen time and again, both parties want to avoid a default because there's no political benefit to being seen as the party that enabled the default. Even if Biden blames it on McConnell, it would come under the Biden presidency, which is no good for Democrats. And the White House and Democrats would be pretty savvy on blaming it on McConnell and the Republicans, but the Republicans don't want that. I think the bigger question we're asking in our book is, why are we like this now, where everything is so dramatic, so heated? Because most of these lawmakers don't want to have this political theater all the way to the end. They'd rather just get it done with. But they're under such intense pressure from their own constituencies mm -hmm. to, to do what those constituencies want. So is there a breaking point in your view if, if everyone's thinking the same thing? Nobody likes where we are, Robert. Then why are we here? A breaking point is going to be, as we saw with McConnell today, if some kind of deal to avert the debt ceiling is offered, can some of the spending packages be separated if Manchin holds to his his, his position Maybe this is all passed in some capacity, but not all in the same way. And we've seen Schumer and Biden and Pelosi, veterans at Capitol Hill, 
break down legislation before, they could easily do so again. But they're trying, understandably, politically, to put as much in one bag as they can versus many bags as they carry them out of the so-called store. Robert Costa, The Washington Post, and The Great Book Peril. Many thanks for being with us again on Bloomberg Radio. Thank you. And just to update where we are, by the way, if you're just joining us, we do have a deal on the table, we're told, by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. That means no vote. We thought we'd be walking in today on Sound On with news of a vote in the Senate, which has delayed an attempt to advance legislation to suspend the debt limit, which, of course, Republicans were poised to block. Would have been the third time in nine days we went through this exercise. Maybe this day will end differently. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for spending part of your Wednesday with us. I am right. There's been so much going on today. It's been several days in one as we began with the thought of having a vote in the Senate on the debt ceiling matter. That vote has not happened, and I'm not going to tell you that it won't because we still have not heard from the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on this offer that we've been discussing through the hour, the offer by Senator Mitch McConnell. Putting his offer out as a compromise, as I read on the terminal, would also tie Democrats, though, to raising a specific level of debt. This is important, as opposed to a suspension as done under the Trump administration and as they were going to vote on today, it was expected to fail. This would actually force Democrats to put a number on this. And we're joined again by the panel, reassembled with Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano. And Bill McGinley is here for the hour as well, principal at the Vocal Group, former deputy counsel at the Republican National Committee. Jeannie, is that a a worry that Democrats had to actually be pinned down on a number and not simply suspend the ceiling once again? It's a real concern they've had. They did not want to be forced to deal with this kind of ceiling number that now McConnell has put them in this box if they do take one of these deals. And that is precisely the problem for them. They wanted to lift the debt ceiling until after the 2022 midterm election. Quite specifically. Um, And so they now have to make a really, I think, very tough decision on how they move forward, you know, and I have continued to think they should move forward on reconciliation, get this thing behind them, and mm-hmm. then move forward to infrastructure. But they have said clearly they don't want to do that. What if what if Democrats just turned around through the debt limit in this reconciliation bill? Would that ostracize Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, because it makes it too expensive. What What's the downside of doing that? It, it very well might. And they have said that they will not do that. They don't want to do that. And Manchin and Cinema are a real concern for yeah. them. And that's the same problem they ran into as they talked about potentially a carve out for the filibuster. They need Manchin and Cinema to go along. And neither one seems at least publicly inclined to do that. Mm-hmm. So they come up against this juggernaut, which is why we go back the other day to the president saying, I've got these two Democrats that are holding me up. And it's not just on infrastructure (laughs) reconciliation. It's on the debt ceiling as well. If you look at it, you know, in terms of potentially a carve out with a filibuster. It's funny. He doesn't even need to name them at this point. Bill McGinley, the conventional wisdom is you peg uh, Democrats to a number here and then you can make lots of political attack ads in the midterms. Is that actually true? Do people walk around uh, remembering, my God, numbers on a debt ceiling, never mind the size of the reconciliation bill? I don't even think it's that specific in terms of what the political attacks are going to become. I mean, remember, it's worth stepping back 
and recognizing that Democrats control Washington. They control the White House. They control the Senate. They control the House. They may be a 50-50 Senate and a narrow margin in the House, but at the end of the day, this is a unified Democratic government. And all the crises that we've seen uh, materialize in 2021, whether it's, the, it, whether it's the border or inflation or crime, and now we have this, this manufactured, self-inflicted uh, debt limit uh, plus you know, government funding and the infrastructure packages being stalled. Mm-hmm. These are all laid at the feet of the Democratic leaders. And I think that's going to become a real issue uh, for them going forward into the 2022 uh, uh, midterms. You know, one point that I would just make is, you know, why the rush to try and get all this stuff done in 2021 is because nothing is going to pass of that size or should not pass during an election year. Primaries are going to start pretty early in 2022. And once that starts, uh, all of these big packages, the opportunity to try and get them through the Congress and to the president's desk, that time period is going to expire. And so the Democrats have a real time. The clock is not their friend right now. That's interesting, Jeannie, to look at comments from Patrick Leahy, a Democrat from Vermont, of course, the senator from Vermont, calls this GOP move, quote, just pure politics. It's stupid and it's wrong, he says. Uh, are we going to hear Chuck Schumer walk out here and say there's no deal? I mean, is this is this possible? We, we, we can't act like it's done. It, it, we can't act like it's done. It is possible that the Democrats decide they don't accept this offer. And, you know, I was struck by the president. He said today what the Republicans are doing is dangerous, despicable, cynical, destructive, political playing and gamesmanship. I mean, that's nice the alliteration. Kind of- <laughs> That's the kind of language that's being used because, of course, Democrats do want to make the case that Republicans who claim to be so economically responsible and are seen as the party best able to move us through some of these debates about taxation and the deficit, those kinds of things, they want to make the case they are highly irresponsible. And here's an example of that. Of course, I go back, though, you look at the polls. Voters don't tend to, at least a plurality in some of these latest polls, they blame both parties and all of Washington equally on these things. And so I think it's really, really tough to squeak out a win on this. I think Democrats much better off getting a real deal on infrastructure, which almost all yeah. Americans support. Wow. Well, what do you make of that idea, Bill McGinley, if, if the Democrats, if Senator Chuck Schumer says no? We're not just kicking the can to December, and I'm and I'm hearing that in the tone of voice when I listen to Jen Psaki today. If you can't get in your head around a long-term deal, then we will use reconciliation, or we will try to the, the, the nuclear option and get it done all on our own. But the problem is, is that the Democrats aren't unified on what their agenda should be. They can't seem to be able to come to an agreement with Senators Manchin and Sinema. And in a 50-50 Senate, the vice president's vote does not come into play unless all 50 senators vote in lockstep. Yeah. And right now they've got two holdouts, which is preventing reconciliation, which is preventing everything else. Let's remember, let's remind the listeners, um, a document was released um, recently where Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin, uh, Joe Manchin had laid out his priorities and the mm-hmm. limits on what he would agree to. The famous Chuck memo. Schumer signed that document. And it was $1.5 trillion on the, on the big spending bill in addition to the bipartisan infrastructure. This is not a Democrat versus Republican problem. 
This is Democrat versus Democrat, and the Democrats have not been able to unify their party around a central message. It's largely been the issue uh, since we started talking about this, Jeannie. I don't know if you had a good look at that memo that Bill is talking about here. Paul Kane of The Washington Post had a great uh, column decoding the memo, and he pointed to these lines across the top that were in bold face. The big one was the price tag, $1.5 trillion. Everybody ran down the row with that. That was the big news. But two lines lower, it said... Have the Federal Reserve stop quantitative easing? Now, of course, he's been concerned about inflation, but Congress has no ability to do that. And so some are thinking that he's kind of built in cover for him to potentially vote no. I think that's true. I have to say this memo that you and Bill were just talking about, and and we've all looked at it, it was one of the strangest things I've ever seen to have a majority leader signing this kind of memo laying out what one of his members, albeit one of the most important members in the caucus, you know, has, you know, set as their sort of bottom line. And to your point, there was a lot in this memo, but I was just so struck by the idea the majority leader would not just read it, which makes sense, but (laughs) sign it. And and I think, you know, importantly, this was done months ago or at least weeks, months, if not months in the summer before it was released publicly. And I think that is a real concern and raised questions about good faith negotiating with the moderates and the the progressives, quite frankly, in the House. And if I was Nancy Pelosi, I'm assuming she knew about it, but I would be very, very concerned by that. That was almost three months before he actually said 1.5 out loud in that big scrum on Capitol Hill last week. Bill, what do you make of uh, the reference to, to QE? What? Why would Joe Manchin zero in on the Fed when he's talking to the leader of the Senate? Is, is he giving himself cover to vote no? I think he was trying to lay out a global policy agenda for, for Joe Manchin, that he was saying that a lot of the policies the administration and the Democratic Congress have been pursuing, he feels are wrong for the country, wrong for West Virginia. And I think looping in the Fed policies on quantitative easing, uh, it, you know, illustrates that point. I mean, he, he basically has said that the, the spending has gotten way out of control, that inflation is a concern. And I, I can't get over the fact that the majority leader, Chuck Schumer, signed that document back in July. Yet we had all these public discussions that started at $6 trillion with the original Senator Sanders proposal that apparently was the compromise down to a meager $3.5 trillion. All the while, Chuck Schumer had signed a document with Joe Manchin, a critical vote that he had to get, saying $1.5 trillion was the ceiling on his vote for that package. So it's back on the road tomorrow for President Biden. As uh, we read here, uh, he'll be traveling to Elk Grove Village, Illinois, Jeannie, as you know, that is northwest of Chicago. And I wonder who's the audience on these trips as he tries to, I guess, bypass the the Beltway media. Is this an attempt to speak to so-called regular people? And, And is that the right move? You know, I do think it's the right move. I thought he had a good trip out to Michigan. I think it's important he get on the stump, use the power of the bully pulpit, which is one of the most enormous powers our presidents have, to talk about what is in this proposal. Because, you know, whether you like all of it or some of it, whatever your number, there's a lot in this bill that Americans want and need, from the hard infrastructure to the human infrastructure. And I think he's intent on, and rightly so, making this case to the American public and hoping that they put pressure on their lawmakers to move forward on this bill. 
and you wonder what that local news coverage is going to be like compared to the the constant coverage on cable news here in Washington, D.C. Great to have both of you with us. Jeannie Shanzano and Bill McGinley here, principal at the Vogel Group, former deputy counsel at the RNC, the Republican National Committee. Bill, thanks for spending some time with us and sharing your insights this hour. Jeannie, great to see you. We'll meet back here tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.